Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? You're looking good. And visitors, we are glad that you are here. I did see a couple of you here this morning. Can we put our hands together and welcome our visitors? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hope that you just feel right at home today. I do want to make sure that everybody has message notes. So if you don't have message notes, will you raise your hand very quickly? And Becky, if you and your team could get uh, message notes out. I would also say this. Make sure that you have message notes from this entire sermon series. I think these are message notes you're going to want to keep in your Bible. Because anytime we need some soul detox, uh, God has given us through the last four weeks, uh, the way to have soul detox. So uh, put your hands up if you need message notes. We will get those out to you. And uh, I'll tell you what, while we're kind of waiting on those, let me highlight a few uh, more announcements that are near and dear to my heart. Steve mentioned this, but half of you weren't here, so I'm going to say it again. A week from today, we have Meet the Staff Luncheon. If you are here uh, new to the church in the last six months, you really don't know the staff, we would warmly uh, invite you to participate in that. If you could sign up, Tammy Williams will be out there today, and that would be good if you could sign up. We just want to chat with you. We'll have lunch from about 12.15 to 1, free meal, and you'll be on your way. I also want to uh, nudge some of you towards Class 101. Uh, with all of the new people here in the church, I get a lot of questions about who we are, what we believe. And so if you would like to find out more about Cross Point Church, the Church of the Nazarene, please sign up uh, for October 20th. It's nine till noon, and I will answer any question I can possibly answer. And then um, this coming Friday night, we start our prayer explosion. OK, and, a and Faye Martin said, Amen. And uh, we are going to have 24 hours of prayer, and then we're going to kick off our first Saturday evening of prayer this coming Saturday at 6. Now, i got to tell you a story. This took place, uh, or just something I heard this week. Uh, I went over to the district. Larry had gathered some of the uh, younger pastors. He keeps putting me in that group, and I'm grateful to be in the group with the younger pastors. And... Um, one of the pastors that was there was a guy named Pat Glenn. How many of you know Pat Glenn? Okay. If you don't know him, you need to get to know him. He's one of the up-and-coming pastors here in the district, and uh, he's spoken here at the church. Well, anyway, he said, I've got, I got to just share something that's happened in my church. He said, I've been there three and a half to four years. When I got there, uh, we have a sanctuary that seats 500, and he said we had about 75 people the first Sunday. And he said, uh, for about six months, I was very discouraged. He said, I didn't know what to do. He said, but then someone championed prayer at the church. They begin to pray on Saturday night. And he said, when they told me Saturday no night, I was like, you've got to be kidding. Saturday night, but they started prayer. And he said, I want you to know, that that prayer group now is running 40 strong. And he said, our church has grown from 75 to over 300. And he said, I tribute it all, 100% to prayer. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. I think sometimes we scratch our heads and we wonder what we need in our life. We wonder what's going to make our church grow. And my friends, it's as simple as one word, prayer. So I want to nudge you to come out to prayer. Now, I understand 
We all can't make it every Saturday. There might even be some Saturdays that I can't make it. But guess what? We are going to pray together. We're going to start meeting on Saturday from 6 to 7 and pray. And I challenge you, youth, I challenge you to come out and be a part of prayer. Amen? Some of you will say amen and you won't show up. But if you ever get a chance to, please come. It's just going to be a great time. Before I dig into the series, I would like you to thank Steve and Tammy Williams for doing a great job partnering with me in this series. Can you put your hands together? Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Tammy. It's just a joy to partner with these guys in ministry. The reason I did that is I'm not going to review today because I want you to know specifically that I want us to take some time at the end of this service to respond to God, okay? So we're going to leave about 20 minutes at the end of the service for some time for detox. And so I want to prepare your spirit even now for the time of response at the end because I believe that God wants to do a powerful work in our life today in this concluding message. I'm going to take a deep breath and then I'm going to say this. (laughs) This message is going to hit all of us, okay? It's going to hit all of us, starting here. You ready? You guys are going, oh. (laughs) So as we begin, I want you to repeat after me. Harv, no matter what you say, I will love you. Harv, no matter what you say, I will receive it. As God's truth. Harv, no matter what you say, I'm going to open up my heart because what, I, what you're going to share is for my good and God's glory. Hey, Addie. That's my granddaughter right there. I recognize her cry. She has a powerful cry. <laughs> okay, now that you've made this promise... I'm going to tell you what the message title is. Today's message is the seduced soul. And let me say again from the get go, every single one of us here this morning have struggled and very possibly are struggling with some soul seduction. When Edith and I lived in Wichita, Kansas, that was 10 years ago. My 16-year-old daughter, Mackenzie, at that time was six years old. We sang at a river festival, Edith and I and a band did. And uh, if you know anything about Wichita, uh, you know that it's not a nice place. Some of the scariest stories that have taken place in our country have happened in Wichita, Kansas. And downtown Wichita is a rough place. When the set was over, I asked, I said, well, where's Kinsey? And they were like, we haven't seen her. And so we started looking around, and after about five minutes, I started desperately just panicking. And so we kind of spread out, began to look. About 10 minutes, we uh, found some policemen to help us. And about 20 minutes later, I was completely, I felt like I was starting to lose my mind. I was so worried because we could not find my six-year-old daughter, Kenzie, in this horrible place. 
with, that was surrounded with thousands of thousands of very rough people. Well, eventually, Kinsey and her little friend came skipping up. <laughs> like nothing was wrong. We were dying. And what had happened is they had been seduced into going over to the civic center because they heard that there were these big, cool bath. There were these big, cool TVs in the restrooms and they wanted to go see these big, cool TVs. And so with no thought that they were in extreme danger, they were completely seduced by this thing that they were pursuing and they were completely unaware that they were in grave, grave, grave danger. I'll never forget it. Church, I think that a lot of times this is what happens in our spiritual lives. If you were to ask me what I believe Satan's greatest tool against 21st century American believers is, I would say that tool would be seduction. We live in a world where right is wrong and wrong is right. And there is a whole lot of seduction going on. And we at the church are not immune to this seduction. I want you to know that as I talk today, this message is going to be tough, but I want you to know that I'm speaking to you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, I'm not. This is not a message for people who are unsaved. This is for those of us who are saved. I truly believe that the spiritual reality for some of us, many of us here today, is that we have been seduced or we are being seduced or we are settling for and even pursuing things that are dangerous to us. For many of us believers, our greatest sin is the sin of idolatry, the sin of soul seduction. Let me start right here and admit that to you. As your pastor, the sin that I struggle with the most is the sin of idolatry and the sin of soul seduction. So with the help of the Holy Spirit this morning, my goal is to challenge all of us to invite the Holy Spirit to come and do some heavy duty soul detox in our life today and free us from any and all soul seduction that we may be suffering from this morning. Here's why this is so important. This is the premise for this series. Let's say it one more time together. We are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. Before we unwrap this idea of soul seduction, let's stop and pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts, to prepare me for this message and his truth. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Jesus, we sense your grace. We sense your mercy in this place. We also sense that today is a day where we can choose to be set free if we will, because your truth is going to be spoken. And so as Steve pray so many times, I pray that same prayer. Would you shut my mouth? I mean, very specifically, I want you to close my mouth and I want you to speak. 
I want your truth to be heard today. Lord, would you do this? Would you settle down on each one today? And when it gets uncomfortable for us here, I pray that the sweetness of your Holy Spirit would convict us. And may we respond to your conviction. I don't want anyone to leave this place feeling condemned today, only convicted. So we give you this service and we are believing you, Holy Spirit of God, to be glorified in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Now at first glance, or the first time we hear this idea that we struggle with being seduced in our souls, some of you very possibly can be thinking, you know, Harv, I really don't think that I struggle with any soul seduction. But let me let you in on a little secret. The thing about being seduced in our soul is that it is very, very subtle. And it's so gradual, and in many ways... Soul seduction is so natural and so normal that it just feels like, you know, this is just the flow of life and we don't even know that we are being seduced. One of the first times that the Bible warns us about soul seduction is in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 4. And this is God speaking to us. If you have the old Bibles, this would be written in red. And this is what he says. He says, you shall have no other gods, lowercase g, before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of, what's the next word? Anything. Hmm. An idol, by the way, is anything that captures our time, captures our affection, captures our attention. So God is saying to us right here, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. That sounds pretty exhaustive, sounds pretty inclusive from God's point of view. And God wants to make sure that we understand this. So he goes on and says, nothing at all in heaven above, nothing in the earth beneath or nothing in the waters below. Do you know what God's saying to us here? He is saying, nothing should rival me in your life. Nothing should rival your time with me. Nothing should rival your affection for me. Nothing should rival the attention that you give to me. That's what God is saying to us right here. Now, let me ask you a question. Because right now, I could just open up the altars and we really probably should... Just start praying right here, right? We're going to be honest with ourselves, okay? No religious robes today. We're going to be honest, okay? Why is it that our souls are so vulnerable to worshiping other idols or being seduced by other gods? Why would God say to us, hey, you're going to struggle with this, so I'm going to make this the number one commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Can we just be honest and say we all feel the pull in our life? We feel the pull in our life to those things that would try to make themselves more important than God in our lives. Why is that? Why is there such a big time struggle here? Here's why. My soul, 
your soul? Our souls are created to connect with and worship the one true and living God. Check this out. At a soul level, we are worshipers. That is who we are. There is not a human being on planet Earth today who is not worshiping something or someone. We are worshipers. And worship isn't something that we choose to do. We just instinctively do it. We were created to worship. Now, here's the thing. Here comes the rub. Any time that we as believers, any time we allow our soul to be filled by, or any time we allow our souls to worship anything other than God, we are settling for a substitute. We are settling for a counterfeit. And we are settling for an idol and we are being seduced in our souls. Do you know why we all identify with the song, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for? Do you know why we identify with that song? It's because even as believers, we try to fill our lives with so many other things. And yet we find ourselves still empty on the inside And here's why, listen, this world cannot satisfy the longing of our soul. This world can never, ever satisfy our soul dissatisfaction because we were created to be satisfied by the one true God and anything else in our life that vies for that position is an idol and it will not and cannot satisfy us. And that's why... In his grace, in his wisdom, in his love, in his mercy to his children, he says, hey, listen, don't have any other idols. Don't have any other gods. Don't put anything before me. If you do, you won't be happy. You won't be satisfied in your soul. This command from God is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. Would you read this with me? Let's read together. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest seas. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. Read that last line with me. Don't be seduced into worshiping them. You see, this idea of soul detox, this idea of soul seduction, isn't just a cool idea that Steve and Tammy and I came up with and Craig Rochelle. This is God's idea. This is God's idea. He says, hey, don't be seduced by idols. And you know what, church? Here's what's interesting about this. God is speaking to us, his people here in love. He's not speaking to the world. He is speaking to us. And he's saying, hey, don't be seduced into worshiping anything other than me. This idea of soul seduction is from God, and it's a big deal to God. Now, you might be thinking, well, Harv, that's Old Testament. Aren't we free from the Old Testament? Absolutely, we're free from the, what, 6,000 laws. Jesus came and fulfilled that, I understand that. But you know what Jesus also said that shows us that we're not free from this idea? 
Jesus teaches the same thing, and he, he said it was the greatest commandment. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all of your strength. He's saying the very same thing, isn't he? Jesus is saying very clearly to us, hey, don't be seduced into allowing any idols to dethrone God in your life. He is numero uno. He is God and there is no other God. He is number one. He is above all things. Now, here's the thing. Some of you going, well, Harf, I'm not going to go out and worship a golden calf. So what are you talking about? Harv, I'm not going to go out and worship the sun or the moon and the stars. And if you worship that way, we probably need to have a talk real quick because that's idolatry. You know, as believers, we don't do that. But let's not kid ourselves because we do tend to worship things. Do you know what we tend to worship? Let's get real practical. Are you ready for some big time ouches? I will start with myself just so that you don't think I'm pointing the finger at anybody else. The biggest idol in my life is television. The biggest idol in my life is TV. There's a TV in every room in our house. They're not nice TVs. They're still a TV. Most of them have been given to us. But we're all big TV watchers, and if somebody's not watching what we want, we just go in the other room and... Watch something else. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching TV. But when it becomes the center of your life, and you know what? It can in my life. I'm an escapist. When it becomes center of my life, and I would rather watch TV than spend time with God, then that's a problem. It's an idol. And it's seductive. And it seduces my soul. It seduces our soul. And you know what it does? It leaves us empty because we are being seduced in our soul. But not to be outdone by TV, food. Everybody say food. Is the God of many Americans today. We talk about it. We dream about it. We are consumed with it. Uh, wholesales. Food or Whole Foods is coming in at Northdale. They've spent uh, two months uh, constructing our roads so that we can get in and out of Whole Foods. And I keep thinking about the first time I go there, I wonder what my first meal is going to be. And thought, wow, Edith and I can go here really, you know, and going to enjoy this Whole Foods. You know, we're in a recession as a country, but uh, Edith and I went out to eat at Applebee's. Somebody gave us a card, her mom did, and you know, you look around and every table's filled and you think, wow, it doesn't feel like we're in recession. Do you know why? I think that the restaurants sometimes are filled with people who worship food as an idol. Now, I understand that we need food to exist. And some of us as Nazarenes are going, wow, that's our favorite pastime, Harv, get off it. <laughs> We can't have food. What can we have? You know. But just like TV. There's nothing wrong with enjoying food. But you know what? The Bible talks about people who make their stomach their God. 
So that it becomes an idol for us. You see, if we would rather spend time eating than spend time with Jesus, then food becomes an idol and it's seductive and it seduces our soul and it leaves us feeling empty on the inside. Not to be outdone by TV, sports is the God of many people today. It's out of control in our world and it's out of control in the church. Just watched it this past week. Grown men stalking other family members because of a dispute on the ball field. If it weren't for sports, sometimes I don't think half the men in America would have anything to say to one another. We pay outlandish prices for tickets to sporting events. And just so you think I haven't lost my mind, my daughter's going to the Bucks game this afternoon. I mean, I get it. We arrange our entire lives to accommodate the sporting events that our kids participate in and we participate in and we worship. Yes, we worship the professional athletes in this country and we talk about them and we talk about sports with more passion than we ever talk about the church or ever talk about Jesus. Now, just like TV and food, hear me well. There's nothing wrong with sports. Sports is a great thing. Sports teaches our kids teamwork, teaches them discipline. It can be a wonderful thing, but hear me. When sports become the center of our life and we would rather participate in sports than spend time with Jesus, then make no mistake, it is an idol and it is seductive. It seduces our soul and it leaves us feeling empty inside. Amen. Here's the thing. TV, food, sports, you fill in the blank. Now watch this. These things that are good things, when we're seduced by them, do you know what happens in our life? We make excuses for these things. When I've worked hard, I make excuses for going home and just plopping down on my couch when my yard needs to be mowed, but it's like, well, I deserve to get to watch TV. And we make allowances for these things. Now watch this. And here's why I know what I'm saying is God's truth. We take the good things in life and we make them supreme things. And church, it's so subtle. It's so gradual. It's so normal, now hear me, because without even knowing it, and without even meaning to, we lift things above God in our hearts. And when we do, we have a seduced soul. Now church, Jesus knew that we would struggle with this. That's why he put it down as here's the number one thing, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why God in the Old Testament said, here's the first commandment, no other gods before me. He knew that we would struggle with this. And he asked us this penetrating question because he wants to rattle our cages and he loves us. I think this is the most penetrating question in the entire Bible. I can see Jesus just looking at us with tears in his eyes, asking this question, what good is it? Really? 
What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Church, do you see why we need to have some time for soul detox? I mean, the Holy Spirit from Steve's message and Tammy's message and the other one that I preached, the Holy Spirit has just been eating my lunch and rattling my cage because he has shown me that there are things in my soul that is junk and I need to get rid of it. I think if we're really honest, we have to admit to ourselves that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have allowed some idols in our life to dethrone God. I'm not saying that God is not in our life. I'm just saying that he's not on the throne. That's what we call a carnal Christian. So the only way to experience soul detox is dethroning the idols of our souls. Would you say this with me? Dethroning the idols of our souls. And if you have your message notes, here's the first fill in the blank. The first way to dethrone the idols of our soul is to, number one, identify the idols of our souls. Write that down. Identify the idols of our soul. Psalm 24 asks a question that helps us unwrap this idea. Here's the question that it asks. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? You know what the question they're asking? Who can hang out with God? Who's going to feel comfortable being in God's presence? Here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Read this next part with me. And one who does not lift up his soul to an idol. Read that again. And one who does not lift up his soul to an idol. One who does not lift up his soul to an idol. Now, church, we all have some healthy hobbies. I'm not talking about those things. We all have some balanced things that we enjoy doing in our life, and I'm not talking about those things. But believe me, there are things that can seduce our soul, and these things are very dangerous for us. So I want to give us this morning three ways that we can distinguish between a hobby and something that we are idolizing. So here are three words that draw a distinguishing line between our hobbies and those idols that would try to seduce our soul. And I want you to write these down. Maybe the Holy Spirit would begin speaking to you right now, preparing you for the time of response. First word, time. Write that down. How do we spend our time? It shows us what's important in our life. Second word, money. How do we spend our money? Our money always follows our heart. Our money always follows our heart. Third word, conversation. What do we find ourselves talking about? Now let's unwrap these three words and let's be honest with ourselves, okay? Do we find that the vast majority of our free time is always focused on the same thing? If so, that might point to an idol in our life. When we look at our bank account, is a lot of our money going in a certain direction, but very little of it is going to God or helping people. 
that may point to an idol in our life. Think about your conversation. If you find your conversation always drifting to that one thing, then that might identify an idol in our lives. And here's why I say that. When God is really important in our life, when Jesus is important in our life, our conversations always naturally drift to him. When he's really important in our life, eventually our conversation drifts to talking about Jesus. Now let's get a little bit more practical because you can say, man, Harvey, you hit three or four real heavy and you didn't hit any others. So let's talk about some other things that seduce us. You ready? Some people are seduced by having the perfect home. Their time, their money, their conversation and energy goes into obsessively taking care of their home. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking care of our home. In fact, I believe that it is a good witness for Christ. I do my best to make my home look nice in our neighborhood. But if we are so obsessed with it that we can't find ourselves, find time for anything else in our life, then maybe our home is our idol. For some people, it's their image. You can tell that's not for me. (laughs) Some people's whole life is built around the perfect body, the perfect tan, the perfect clothes, the perfect hairdo, yada, yada, yada. And it's an idol for them. For some, it's our children. Church, we live in a world that worships our children. And I see it creeping into the church. And I want you to know, I believe that our children are a God-given treasure and they are of great importance to to us. But if our whole life revolves around our children and we just kind of bow down and scrape before them and worship them, then we are elevating them above God and they can become an idol in our lives. And we need to watch this because our kids don't need us to worship them. Our kids need to see us worshiping the one true living God. Now, teens, I haven't talked to you. You're going, whew. I want to talk to you for a minute, okay? I believe for some of you today, I believe that your cell phone may be an idol in your life. iPod. If you can't imagine an hour of your life without your cell phone, that's a little dysfunctional and it's probably an idol. Okay? For some people, it's, it's being on the internet. You know, how many Twitter followers do I have? If, if that consumes all of your time and all of your energy, really, it can become an idol. To people who are tied up in Facebook and it's like, oh, I've got 10,000 likes and, and only, you know, 899 dislikes. And your whole life is about Facebook or playing games on the computer. Becomes an idol. Okay? For some of us, When we think of our time, our money, and our conversation, we realize that we idolize the idea of success in our career. I'll be honest with you. This is a struggle I have. I struggle with this. I want to be 
seen as successful. It drives me. Sometimes it becomes idolatry in my life. For some here, it might be the pursuit of wealth. If all you spend your time doing is thinking of more ways to gain money and to have, then that becomes an idol for you. The list goes on and on. I think by now, we're probably saying, oh, oh, I see what you're talking about. Now, Crosspoint, this whole soul detox series is what the Nazarene church believes in. We believe in holiness. We believe God says, be holy for I am holy. And so there is some soul detox work and we need to identify the idols in our life. Let me just pick on myself some more. One of the greatest idols that I've had to deal with in my life is the opinion of others. It has just about paralyzed me at times. Remember when we were in our old sanctuary and we had our Jacob stone and I asked you to write down the one thing that God had taught you the most about in the old sanctuary? You know what mine says? Mine says to live for an audience of one. To live for an audience of one. God said, Har, forget the opinion of man. Live for me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I will add everything else. Put me first and trust me. You see, this idea of identifying the idols in our soul is something that is very, very real because we all have them. So once we've identified the idols that we have been seduced by or could be seduced by, Scripture tells us that the next thing we need to do is, number two, we need to tear down our idols. Write that down. Tear down our idols. And when we hear this, we immediately think, isn't that a bit extreme, Harv? Don't you mean that we should manage our idols or tolerate our idols or coexist with our idols or put them in a box and shove them under the bed for a rainy day? According to God's holy word, we need to tear down our idols. Do you know why? We're talking about getting rid of something that would try to usurp God in our life. You see, it's a very, very serious thing. We're talking about getting rid of something that wants us to believe that it's more important than the one true living God. In the time of judges in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were worshiping idols like crazy. God's holy people were worshiping idols like crazy. And remember what God told Gideon to do? In Judges 6.25, God says to Gideon, tear down your father's altar to Baal, the false god, and cut down the Azrael pole beside it. And so this once timid guy, in case you think, well, this is for the brave of heart, this is not for me. This once very timid, mousy guy named Gideon, he begins to roar like a lion. He becomes like William Wallace and he rips down this altar with an attitude that says, I am not going to let anything stand between me and my God. And with conviction, he obliterates the seduction of the idol of Baal. Church, that is what we need to do. 
We need to crush those things. We need to smash those things. We need to demolish those things that would try to seduce us and do damage to our souls, whether those things are TV, movies, entertainment, sports, food, our children, our careers, our pride, our home, or materialism, anything that absorbs our time, our money, and our conversation, those things can become idols to us. And if they have, we need to tear them down. In the name of Jesus, we need to tear them down. Now, I don't suggest that you go home and take a sledgehammer to your TV. I don't suggest that you go home and take a sledgehammer to your cell phone. <laughs> I wish I would have had a cell phone when Kinsey was lost that one time. Man, wouldn't that have been great? Kinsey, where in the world are you? That's not what I'm suggesting. And I'm not suggesting that you go home and, and take a sledgehammer to your computer. Unless you're a man and you have one locked away in your closet and you're addicted to porn, then maybe you should. But we can shut off our TVs, can't we? We can shut down our cell phones. We can turn off our computers and say, because God is more important than this, I've been spending four or five or six hours doing this, and I'm just two hours, that's it. I'm going to go do something more productive, constructive with my time. In the Bible, there's this young man who came to Jesus one day, and this young man was experiencing some deep, deep soul dissatisfaction because he idolized his money and he idolized his material possession and his soul had been seduced. And in his encounter with Jesus, here's what we read. And oh, I love how this story begins. Check out how this story begins. Jesus sees this seduced soul walking up to him. And this is the next thing we read in the gospel this just melts my heart. Jesus looked at him and loved him. If you are saying right now, Harv, you're killing me. When Jesus looks at me and he sees the struggle here, he looks at this odd guy named Harv and he loves me. When Jesus looks at you with whatever soul seduction is going on in your life today, he looks at you and he is overwhelmed with love. He loves you perfectly and utterly and completely. But he also is honest. Look at what he says to this guy. He says, one thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You see, church, Jesus is very serious about the condition of our souls. And Jesus knew that this rich young man had been seduced by his wealth. But listen, in truth, in grace and mercy, Jesus loved him enough to say to him, hey, you are settling for a counterfeit. You are settling for a substitute. Your soul has been seduced by your love of money. What you need to do, young man, Jesus said, you need to tear down the idol of money and materialism in your life. Then come follow me and you will find real life and you will find soul satisfaction. Church, if we are going to experience soul detox, 
we have to be honest with ourselves. And we have to ask God to identify the idols in our life. We have to ask God to identify those idols and then be strong enough to tear them down. Tear down any and every idol that would try to exalt itself above God or put itself between us and God. And the third thing we need to do is to fill our soul with God. Write that down. Fill our soul with God. Let me give you three verses that tell us how to fill our soul with God. And I want you to read these verses with me. Let's read them together. Here we go. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now, just a minute ago, I told you that this message is for believers. I want you to know I am not a religious guy. I am all about relationship. I believe that the people who make heaven their home will so because they have pled the blood of Jesus over their life and they have a real relationship with him. It's not about what church you attend. It's about a relationship with Jesus through his shed blood. I would never tell you that you have to go to church to be a Christian. But for those of you who might be thinking this morning, well, church attendance, you know, it's really not that important. I would have to say to you that the psalmist heartily disagrees with you. The psalmist talks this way about the house of the Lord. He says that our soul yearns and our soul, yes, even faints for the house of the Lord. You see, you know why God's house is important? We fill our soul with God when we attend the house of the Lord. When we are here in worship, our soul is filled. When we come together here in God's house, we experience Soul detox. One of the best ways in today's world to know soul detox is to fill ourselves with God by being in the house of the Lord. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, read it with me. For God satisfies the longing soul. Who satisfies the longing soul? For God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul God fills with what kind of things? Good things. Sounds like God wants us to find our soul satisfaction in him, right? Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my, what's the word? Soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Let me ask you a question. Does this, does this language, does it describe how you feel about your spiritual appetite and your relationship with Jesus? I would submit to you that many times in my life it does not. I submit to you that my attitude is a little bit more like this. I long for a week at the beach with a little something something in my drink. I long for a week in the mountains, you know, with hot chocolate or a hot toddy and some popcorn in a fireplace. I crave a week at Universal Studios when nobody's there and I can get a fast pass and, you know, I can just veg. I mean, really, I mean, doesn't that sound a little closer to the reality, to our spiritual reality? Now, none of those things, a week in the beach, mountains, all of that, none of that's wrong. If it is, I'm in trouble because I take a four week vacation every summer. 
It's just now, listen to me very carefully. Here's the defining line. It's just that our souls have been poisoned by false idols and we tend to long for and crave and thirst for the counterfeit instead of the real thing. We have been conditioned by this world to reach out and try to fill the longing of our soul with something that will never, ever satisfy. Because a man-made idol can never replace the one true living God. Hear me well, church. This is what I'm talking about. Here's the definer. The good things in our life can never, ever replace the supreme thing. That's why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. Church, this is what we were created to do. We were created to worship, and hear me well, and the only worship that satisfies us is the supreme worship of the one true and living God. This morning, we're going to take a little time for a response. We've got 16 minutes before 12. That's plenty of time. I believe that there might be some of you today for the first time that you would say, I've watched other people go to the altar and I've wanted to, but I just just don't want anybody to think I'm a fake or that something's really wrong in my life. Maybe... Today is your day just to come up and say, here I am, God. I've got some soul detox that needs to happen. Maybe today, when we stand to worship here, you've seen some of us raise our hands. And you've wanted to, but you never have. Maybe today would be the day you'd say, I'm going to throw my hands up in the air and I don't care what anybody else thinks and I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I want him to come in and detox my soul. Maybe some of you just need to sit and just ponder. Maybe you need to pray and then maybe you need to go to somebody else and share and just say, I need to tell you what has been seducing my soul. I've got to share it with someone because I need some accountability. So this morning, for the next 15 minutes, I want us to respond. However God would have you respond. I don't don't have any idea how he wants you to respond, but I want us to respond to him. And let's experience some soul detox. If God identifies an idol in your life, then you need to say, okay, God, I'm committing that to you right now. I'm asking you to tear it down. I'm going to do what I need to do to tear it down. And I'm going to fill myself Instead, with you, God, because this idol can never replace the one supreme thing in my life. So, praise team, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Go ahead and come forward. And I want to ask us to respond to the Lord together in whatever way feels right and normal. But let's say yes to the Spirit of God and let's seek Him.